true that we must make effort in the Christian life. This does not nullify the fact that we are always and ever dependent upon God's grace. When we strive after godliness, we are to strive in God. We are to toil not as independent and self-sufficient creatures, but as creatures who are always and forever dependent upon God for all things. And this was, in fact, the way that Paul spoke of his own strivings concerning his gospel ministry. He said in Colossians 1.29, For this I toil, struggling with all God's energy that he powerfully works within me. And so we see there that Paul did toil. He himself struggled in Christ. He pursued godliness. He was persistent. He worked hard in his ministry. But when he toiled, he toiled with God's energy. And so should we, friends. When we pray for ourselves and others that we might be strengthened in the inner man, we should pray as Paul did, beseeching the Father that he would graciously grant us this strength according to his power and glory. And having prayed for this gift from God, we should rise up from prayer to strive after him with all God's energy that he powerfully works within us, exhorting our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ to do the same. Two, Paul says that this power from God the Father is worked in the believer through his spirit. The spirit of God, as you know, is our helper. He convicts us of sin. He leads us in paths of righteousness. He strengthens the believer with the power of God. Again, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that according to the riches of God's glory, he may grant them to be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. Three, Paul's prayer to the Father was that the Ephesians would be strengthened through the spirit so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You'll notice now the Trinitarian structure of this passage that we're considering. Paul's prayer was to the Father, that he would strengthen the believer through the Spirit, and so that Christ the Son would dwell in their hearts. And I want for you to pay careful attention to the word dwell. You have probably noticed a theme developing in Ephesians. And that is the theme of temple. Earlier in this epistle, Jewish and Gentile believers were said to be stones in God's temple, with the apostles and prophets being foundation stones, and Christ himself being the cornerstone. And what is a temple except a dwelling place for God? A place where man enjoys communion with God. That is, that is the function of a temple. And here in Ephesians, Paul is again and again reminding the believer that they are the temple of God individually, but especially corporately as the church. And here, Paul's prayer for the Christians in Ephesus and for us by way of extension is that by God's grace, we would be strengthened in the inner man through the spirit so that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. He prayed that we would be strengthened in faith so that we might function truly as a temple of Christ. And how is it that Jesus the Christ dwells in the heart of the believer, given his human nature? How does that work exactly? How can the man, Jesus Christ, dwell within us? Well, 
He dwells in us, not according to His humanity, of course, but according to His divinity and by the agency of the Holy Spirit. This is exactly what Christ taught when He spoke of sending the Holy Spirit in John chapters 14 through 16. Take, for example, what Christ said to His disciples in John 14, 15, and 16. He spoke to them saying, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you. And He spoke to them prior to His death, burial, and resurrection, saying, And He will be in you. And so Christ promised His disciples that He would always be with them, but He would be with them not in His humanity and not in His flesh, but according to His divinity and through the agency of the Holy Spirit who is here called the Helper. So this is how Christ dwells in our hearts. This is what Paul is praying for, that we would be strengthened in the inner man so that we might function as temples of the Holy Spirit so that God and Christ would indeed dwell with us and even in us according to God's purpose and intent. Notice that Christ is said to dwell in our hearts by faith here in this passage. Faith is the instrument by which Christ is received. And we know, for it has already been taught to us, that faith itself is a gift from God. Christ is not received by works, but by faith alone, so that no one may boast. And notice also that Christ is said to dwell in the hearts of those who have faith, who are also rooted and grounded in love. To have faith in Christ is to love Christ. And to love Christ is to keep His commandments. That, after all, is what Christ Himself said in the passage that I read to you just a moment ago regarding the sending of the Holy Spirit. Jesus began by saying to His disciples, If you love Me, you will keep My commandments. And then Christ went on to say, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper, so on and so forth. So, those who have faith in Christ are those who are rooted and grounded in love. Love for God, love for Christ, love for one another. This is the thing that Paul is praying for, that we would be strengthened in this way. And then when all is considered, when Paul prayed that the Ephesians would be strengthened in the inner being, he is praying that God, by His grace, would strengthen the faith of the believer by the power of the Holy Spirit, that God would enable the believer to love God and one another, that they would keep the commandments of God, living in obedience to Christ, walking with Him, so that Christ would dwell in their hearts, again, by the agency of the Holy Spirit. There are a few points of application that I would like to draw from this first point in the sermon today. One, I do ask, are you daily being strengthened in the inner man? Are you growing in faith? Is your love for God and Christ increasing? Are you living in obedience to His commandments? Are you walking in Christ and is He dwelling in you? As I have said before, this is something you must choose to pursue. Spiritual growth will not happen automatically. You must be in God's Word. You must read it and listen to it proclaimed. You must be in prayer. And you also must daily choose to put off the old self and to put on the new in 
Christ Jesus. Friends, this takes work on our part. This takes true effort. Two, I ask, are you praying for yourself in this regard? Are you praying that God by His grace would make you able and willing to know, obey and submit to His will in all things as the angels do in heaven? If you are daily praying through that prayer, which is commonly called the Lord's Prayer, then you will certainly be praying for this under the heading of the third petition, which is, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Given that our growth in faith is itself a gift from God, then it is only right for us to regularly petition the Father for this very thing and to ask for this gift, to bow the knee before the Father and to say, Father, refine me today. Strengthen me today. Increase my faith. Teach me your law. Make me willing and able to keep it. Father, increase my love for you and for others. We should pray for ourselves in this regard. And then thirdly, I ask you, do you pray this way for others also? Do you pray for others as Paul prayed that God by His grace would strengthen them in the inner being? Parents, I might look to you and say, do you pray this way for your own children? Do you pray for them that the Lord would provide for them and protect them and all of those things that come most naturally to us as parents? But beyond that, are you praying for spiritual things for your children? If they do not yet have faith in Christ, then we should pray that they would be saved. But if they have faith, then we should pray continually that their faith would be strengthened day by day, that the Lord would keep them and grow them and refine them. Husbands, I wonder, do you pray for your wife in this regard? Wives, do you pray for your husband in this regard? Children, do you pray for your siblings and even for your parents in this regard, that they would be strengthened in the inner man? I might also look to the officers of this church and say, Brothers, are we praying for the members of this congregation in this way? Are we praying that the Lord would strengthen them in the inner man? And members, I ask you, are you praying for one another that according to the riches of God's glory, He may grant us to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in our inner being so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith, being rooted and grounded in love. Perhaps you have noticed this. We tend to run to other concerns in prayer. Uh, Many of the things that we run to are earthly things, things having to do with this world. And indeed, we are invited by the Father to pray for those things. Under that petition, give us this day our daily bread. But let us give special emphasis to this, uh, to the spiritual things. Let us pray as Paul prayed, that indeed, the Father would strengthen us in the inner man, that He would teach us together to keep His will, that we together would obey the will of God just as the angels do in heaven. So let us now move on to the second of Paul's three petitions, which are marked off in this text by the Greek conjunction, henna, which means that. In the ESV, the that is found in the middle of verse 17 but it actually goes with the petition found in verses 18 and 19. And there Paul prays that the Ephesians would have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And this also is my prayer for you, that you would comprehend the love of Christ for you. 
And I should say before moving on that these three petitions that are found here in Ephesians 3, they're all interrelated, of course. They're distinct, but they're all interrelated. In other words, one of the ways that we grow strong in the inner man is to also grow in our comprehension of the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. Comprehension is very important, friends. It is important that we understand what God has done for us in sending the Christ. It is vital that we grasp the depth of His love for us. When we comprehend God's love for us in Christ, we are then moved to love and obey Him more and more out of gratitude for His grace. Here Paul prays that we would have the strength to comprehend the love of Christ. To comprehend is to grasp something. And we should remember that Paul bowed his knee before the Father and prayed as he did for this reason, which refers back to what Paul had written in Ephesians chapter 2. There is rich doctrine presented there. And that text would be a wonderful text for us to return to, to contemplate the marvelous love that has been shown to us in Christ. For it is there in that text that Paul does tell us about our helpless and hopeless condition apart from Christ and God's gracious intervention. And so it would be good for us to go back to that text even later on this Lord's Day and to contemplate the truths that are presented there. Paul's prayer for us is that we would comprehend the love of Christ with all the saints. The Christian religion is not an individualistic religion, but it is a corporate one. When we come together God, as God's people, we are to contemplate the love of God that has been shown to us corporately in Christ Jesus. We together are to remember our former way of life. We together are to testify to the mercy of God that has been shown to us. We together are to reflect upon the glories of the gospel and to give thanks to God for all things. We are to grasp or comprehend together the love of Christ for us. We are to see that this ability to comprehend has not been reserved for a few within the church, but it is for all the saints. All the saints are to pursue this comprehension of the gospel, this comprehension of the marvelous grace of God. And that was Paul's prayer, that all Christians would comprehend God's love for them. And you'll notice here in this text that Paul piles up terms to describe the greatness of Christ's love for us. He prays that we would be able to wrap our minds around the width and length of it, the height and the depth. And I suppose that Paul could have simply chosen one of these terms to describe the greatness of Christ's love. He could have simply said that his love for us is immeasurably high, or he could have said that his love for us is very deep or extremely wide. But here, Paul, by piling up these terms, calls our attention to the breadth of Christ's love and to the length of it and also to the height of it and to the depth. And so he moves us to contemplate carefully the richness of Christ's love, the multifaceted effect of it. And so everywhere we look, be it up or down, before us or behind us, to this side or that, we see the evidence of Christ's love. His love is all about us, in other words. He has surrounded us with His love. He has hemmed us in on every side. Indeed, we are swimming in a deep ocean of Christ's love. And here Paul is praying that we would have the strength to see that, to grasp it, to comprehend it. 
And then Paul adds in verse 19 that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. His prayer is that we would know something that is beyond knowledge. And we might stop and ask, well, how is that possible? You seem here to contradict yourself, Paul, to pray that we would know something that is beyond knowledge. Well, it is possible to know something truly without knowing it exhaustively. I hope you understand this. It is possible to grasp, grasp something, but to at the same time acknowledge that the thing is, is deeper still. It is still beyond us. And in fact, many things pertaining to God and our redemption in Christ are like this. In Christ, for example, we know God truly, but we do not know Him exhaustively. We know Him truly, and we even call Him by the name Father. But all the while, we recognize that He is beyond us still. And so it is with the love of Christ. With God's help, we can grasp it. But the true breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ is always lying beyond our ability to fully comprehend. And here Paul reminds us of that. And so I wonder, Christian, have you paused to contemplate the love that the Father has lavished upon you in Christ Jesus? Have you slowed down to reflect upon your helpless condition and the grace that has been shown to you? Have you considered how rich you are in Christ, how blessed you are to have your sins washed away, to be reconciled to the Father, and how marvelous your inheritance is? Once again, I will say that Ephesians 2 would be a great place to go to reflect upon these truths. For it is there that Paul presents them, and here he is praying that you would have the strength to comprehend what he has previously written. Thirdly and lastly, in verse 19, Paul prayed for the Ephesians that they may be filled with all the fullness of God. And this is also my prayer for you, that you too would be filled with all the fullness of God. Again, we must remember the theme of temple that has developed within Ephesians. You have been redeemed by the Father to function as God's temple. And just as the tabernacle in Moses' day and the temple in Solomon's day was filled with the glory of God upon completion, so too the Christian individually and the church corporately is to be filled and overflowing with all the fullness of God. And this is Paul's prayer. You will notice the Trinitarian structure of Paul's temple talk throughout Ephesians. In Ephesians 2.22, Paul said, In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. In 3.7, Paul reported to pray that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And here in 3.19, Paul reports to pray that the Christian be filled with all the fullness of God. And so we have been redeemed by the blood of Christ so that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit might dwell with us and in us by the agency of the Spirit, for we are His temple. This temple imagery and all of this talk of God the Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling within the redeemed really should not surprise us. Uh, this is not Paul being innovative or creative here. Instead, this is Paul under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit showing how the Christ has brought to completion God's original design for man and has ratified the covenant of grace which has this promise of God at the very core of it. I will be their God and they will be my people and I will tabernacle in the midst of them. 
We should remember, friends, that you were created to know God and to enjoy sweet communion with Him. And this is what Christ has accomplished. He has reconciled you to God so that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit might dwell within you. And this is why Paul prayed for the redeemed, that they would be filled with all the fullness of God, that they would be filled with Him and even overflowing. And so, friends, I ask you this. Do you sense God's presence with you? Do you know that He is near? Do you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That is Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-22. Do you think of yourself in, that ter- in those terms as God's temple? And do you enjoy the presence of God and the sweet communion with Him that Christ has brought about through His shed blood? and received by faith alone. In verses 20 and 21, Paul concludes this passage with a wonderful doxology. For the sake of time, I will only read it. It deserves more attention to this, quite honestly. But this doxology should sound familiar to you, for sometimes we conclude our worship services with this very doxology. In the Greek text, it does have the form of a song. Maybe it was originally sung. And I say, What better way for Paul to conclude this passage and, in fact, the whole first half of his epistle than to give glory to God on behalf of all of the redeemed, Jew and Gentile alike, saying, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. And all of God's people say, along with Paul, Amen. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, which is so very rich. We thank thank you for these deep truths which have been presented to us by Paul the Apostle under the inspiration of this Holy Spirit in the first half of his epistle. How marvelous it is to think that we were created by you to enjoy sweet fellowship with you, to commune with you, to be surrounded by your presence, even for you to dwell within us, Lord. This we lost at the fall, we know it. We were alienated from you, by nature children of wrath. But this Christ has, this, this, this problem is what Christ has solved. He has reconciled to us and, adopt, and through him we are adopted as beloved children. Oh, Father, help us to dwell upon these truths, to contemplate them and to comprehend them. Help us to walk in this world worthy Help us to live daily as your temple. Help us to be mindful of your presence and to enjoy it, Lord. Be with us as your people. Strengthen us in the inner man day by day, we pray in Christ's name. And all of God's people say, Amen.